The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. There are so many factors in life that I have absolutely no control over. Once I really settled in on Jesus Christ, that no matter where I am, He's going to be the same when I get there. Meredith Shepherd gives her testimony of her calling as a pastor's wife on this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. By the way, no relation to today's guest. These conversations are for the purpose of hearing the stories of how God uses people from all walks of life to bring honor to the Lord through their life. There are amazing stories told each week here, and they're archived online at firstpersoninterview.com. But in addition to the website, each program is posted as a podcast as well, and you can use our smartphone app to listen and or download interviews. Search for First Person Interview in your app store. Well, even if you're not in full-time ministry, so to speak, you likely know people who are, and some of them may be a pastor's wife. As we'll learn today, there are both blessings and challenges that accompany that role. Meredith Shepherd is married to Paul Shepherd, a California pastor, and she's the author of Letters to Pastors' Wives. She joined me from her church's studio in California, and I asked her if she knew what she was getting into when she said... I do. (laughs) Well, I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into, but I do have to admit, I am one of those rare women who thought all of my life as a single woman and as a young girl that I would marry a minister. Did you really? I really did. Those were the women I most admired. Pastor's wives. I had a school teacher who was a pastor's wife, and I was enamored of those women at an early age. And even ironing my father's handkerchiefs, I would imagine these are preacher handkerchiefs because I would see my pastor with a stack of handkerchiefs, and he would use them to mop his brow as he was giving off fiery, fervory, you know, (laughs) his his message with lots of fervor. And I I just, that was, I don't know, that was one of those things. I feel called from God, from birth, to be a pastor's wife. Most interesting, it really is. Uh, So you knew what you're getting yourself into, uh, sort of, (laughs) I guess. What, What surprised you most As a young pastor's wife, uh, what was the the realization you came to? That it is a sorority of women, I call it a sacred sorority, who really need each other because it's very hard to have the close ties and bonds within your own congregation. I never believed the myth. You can't have friends in your own congregation. But I did live to realize the impracticalities and challenges of just sharing at a deeper, more personal level with people that your husband pastors. It's just not a lot of wisdom in that. There are some things Mm -hmm. we can talk about, child rearing, grocery shopping, swapping recipes, but more personal things that have to do with your personal life, and of course, your husband's life, not wise to share that with congregants. So I don't think I was very prepared for that. 
Okay. All right. So, I mean, how how do you find relationships and friendships then when you have to kind of watch those guardrails, so to speak? Wayne, I could tell you a story, and it is bizarre. I would not recommend it. I would discourage it if I heard someone share it with me. But one day, out of desperation and loneliness, I literally picked up the telephone dialed seven digits because I wanted to stay within my area code. I didn't want to make a long distance call. And I just dialed seven digits, determined that I would talk to whoever picked up the phone and agreed to talk to me. And Mm. as only God would have it, a pastor's wife answered the phone. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, she did. And she couldn't believe I didn't know who she was. I could not even recall the number. I said I only dialed seven digits, but she talked to me and listened and prayed for me. And Mm. I just hope one day in heaven I get to meet who I called. Yeah. You were that desperate. I was that desperate. To be able to talk openly with someone. Absolutely. I was that desperate. Those, again, those were the early days. Now, um, I certainly advocate talking to another pastor's wife or Mm -hmm. seeking out a counselor, but um, there are less dramatic things to do. But it's still important to have someone that you can reach out and talk to who can relate. Yeah. Well, God protected you and Guiding you to the right phone number, didn't he? He did. <laughs> well, I know that you and, and others, including the late Lois Evans, have had a heart for pastors' wives. And you and Lois actually networked together when she was alive. Yes, we did. We met in 1999 when both of our husbands were speakers at a conference. And the conference host wanted us to meet each other. Paul and I had never met Lois or Tony Evans, and so they arranged a lunch and took us to lunch so we could meet each other. I was super shy, and I really didn't want to talk to the Evanses, and Paul was going to meet us at the lunch because he had something to do. And I was super nervous, but once Lois started sharing her heart about pastor's wives, that was the icebreaker for me because... That was also my heart, my passion for pastor's wives. And so we connected that day in um, over lunch. And that same year, I started going to her conference. She had a pilot just to test the waters to see if there was a felt need for pastor's wives to get together. And she held that ministry for the next 11 years. And I am proud to say that I was at every single conference from its inception. Yeah, she found a kindred spirit in you, didn't she? Very much so. Yeah. Um, Describe some of the pressures that pastor's wives in general feel. (laughs) When I was growing up, uh, the pastor's wife was just expected to play the piano. I mean, that was a given, right? (laughs) (laughs) That used to be a given. Um, I can play chopsticks and boogie-woogie. That is it. That is the entirety. Mary had a little lamb, maybe. But that's that's it. I don't play piano. And so you do have these expectations, especially if you're going to lead at a church, serve at a church that, um, of course, had a previous first lady. And Mm -hmm. I just... No one can beat me being me. So that is my default position, that 
No one as gifted and talented, wise and educated as my husband is. He's been a broadcaster for a very long time and an awesome teacher. And um, But he can't come close to being better at being me. So mm-hmm. that's what I look to, that God created only one me and I glorify him when I am myself. Yeah, that's that's well said. I really appreciate that. We do put a lot of pressure on pastors' wives, don't we? I mean, you you're, you're kind of the first lady of the church. I mean, let's let's face it, right? right. Do you do you accept that term? I do. I it, it was a long time coming for me to grow comfortable in it, but I think the more I look at it as a mother and father, that this is a family, and we kind of represent mom and dad, and of course children get older and take on more and more responsibility. Mom and dad doesn't, they don't do everything. The children help as well in a family. So being a first lady, that is no longer daunting to me. Good. Okay. And besides, I'm in my 60s now, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tend to learn a few things along the way. Absolutely. We? Yeah. Well, what a, what a great thing you've done here in writing this book, Letters to Pastors' Wives. You mentioned children. Um, this can be a this could be pressure for the kids and for the parents, you know, yes. to be models to the congregation, so to speak. When little kids don't want to be models, right? They they want to be kids. Exactly. How did you deal with that? Well, I dealt with it by having my kids very well supported in the areas where they spent the most time, and just because mom and dad are the pastor and first lady of a church. My children, their neighbors, the kids in their neighborhood, and the children they went to school with, those were the people that my children saw the most. So I made sure that I was very active in our community, in our neighbor, in our neighborhood, knowing all the neighbors' parents, knowing all the neighbors' kids, and also volunteering at the school, um, making sure that my kids had good, healthy relationships in their schools, getting to know their teachers, their classmates, having gatherings at the house where the kids that my children saw every single day, they were building relationships with them. So, um, and putting my kids in community activities. They were very involved in the church as well, but they would see those children once a week, whereas Mm -hmm. the kids that they lived with in the neighborhood, they saw them every day and five days a week for their classmates. So that's where I steered them and supported them very, um, I was quite the advocate and supporter. Very good. Very good. So did you ever have to take the tack where you sit them down and say, now look, you know, you're the pastor's children. You need to do no, this or that. No, I, I honestly. It puts a lot of pressure on kids, doesn't right, it? Right. No, I never had to do that. It, it On the contrary. Our kids started out in private Christian school, and it was wonderful for them. For me, it was great. It was a continuum of what they were learning at home. One day, there was something that happened in the schoolyard, and the teacher pulled two kids aside, and I asked, how was it resolved? And the teacher sat the kids down and prayed with them. I thought that was good, but not the real world. And it was then that my husband and I decided that next term, we're going to put our kids in public school because they need a massive dose of reality that every 
difficulty is not going to be settled through prayer. So we made the conscious decision to put our kids in public school where they were able to still flourish and be very well supported by their parents. They already had a great Christian foundation, and I I know that they needed time with the world, even on their level. So that was a conscious decision. And the only area in which we really impressed hard upon them, do your best, be a good student. Right now, that's your job, to be a good student. You don't have to be a straight-A student, although actually both our kids were, but be your best. Whatever your best is, be your best, apply yourself. And that kept them balanced and sane and after school activities and, you know, but don't try to live up to being a model Christian. Just be a model person. Be your best every day. Be the best person you can be. Such good advice from Meredith Shepard, and she'll continue as our guest in just a moment on First Person. And there are so many stories of God at work through the Far East Broadcasting Company. We just had to find a way to tell more. Well, you know, Wayne, hearing all these testimonies has absolutely changed my life. And I want to use a podcast to be able to go deeper with some of the real stories that I get to see as the gospel's going out all around the world. And these stories will change your life, too. So listen to the new weekly podcast until all have heard from FEBC. Listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms, or go to febc.org. My guest is Meredith Shepard. Meredith's husband is Paul Shepard. His program is on the radio, Destined for Victory, and I have the privilege of hosting that program on many radio stations. And although Meredith and I have never met, we've connected online for this conversation. And I'm so glad that you're available for this, Meredith, because I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about this issue. You've written a book called Letters to Pastors' Wives. And by the way, uh, the church that you and your husband are a part of is Destiny Christian Fellowship in Fremont, California. I want everyone to know that. And Destined for Victory is the radio program. What is the best thing that someone in the congregation ever did for you as the pastor's wife? What what encouraged you? Oh, my goodness. What a question. I think when people just allow me to be me, when, um, when they don't put on airs or there's no pretense or um, – when they help me to feel regular and not like mm-hmm. the first lady, um, yeah. when I get those opportunities to feel normal, <laughs> you know, that that seems odd to say. But I I like that when I can just come over to your house and sit on the floor and do something or <laughs> just hang out in the kitchen or um, not be served where we can just be normal and regular and laugh and watch a silly TV show and laugh till we cry and just be normal or talk about something hurtful and they allow me to cry without being shocked that I don't walk on clouds and jump from one mountaintop to the other one and <laughs> live in perpetual victory and have this Red, you know, like the what is it? The Batman phone, the the phone, the direct contact to Jesus. The bat phone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that no. When I can just be Meredith and be silly and try on clothes and shoes and just that's those are my most prized moments. That's a great lesson because uh, not everyone listening, of course, is a pastor's wife or married to a woman who 
is the uh, pastor's wife. But you know what? We all have those women in our lives, most likely, and uh, it's important for us to know how to how to treat. Pastor's wives are people, too, I guess Absolutely. is what you're saying. Absolutely. Huh? Yes, we are. <laughs> what about bearing the burdens of those in the congregation? I mean, I, I, I'm sure that you have had to grieve with many who are grieving, and that's just one example, but bearing one another's burdens as a pastor's wife. Any any response to uh, to that role? It's it's difficult, but it's also a part of family life. And I love the scripture that says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So it's something that we're all called to do. Um, but I do think in ministry, you get to do it a lot more often unless you just work in some kind of crisis ministry. But um, I think one of the most profound lessons I learned was to weep with those who weep. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be seen as strength walking through the door. But when a member has a family member who may have just passed away or they're calling you because someone is dying, literally in that moment, they are facing eternity to come alongside them, to be bedside, it's okay to cry with them. And that is just the gift of presence is huge and that you are deeply impacted and that you can weep with those who are weeping, that it's okay. And I don't have to blink back my tears and try to be this impenetrable force when I come in that I can be a grieving sister right alongside my brothers and sisters who are hurting. That's well said. Uh, In your book, Letters to Pastor's Wives, you talk about the fact, and Paul has been on this program and told us about the decision to leave Philadelphia and to move all the way to the West Coast. And uh, that brings up the, the fact that pastors and their families have to pull up roots sometimes and move. You did from the East Coast to the West Coast. Right. What are some of the things you're, you uh, had to, to wrestle with? Coming to California because they had earthquakes here. And once Paul and I had come out to California before moving here and there was an earthquake, And I promised that would be my last trip to California. And it had been for a few years. Paul returned. Okay, see, that that was your mistake, saying that (laughs) you'd never live there. I I said that about Chicago. I said I'd never live in Chicago, and I've been here all these years. Well, right. They say never say never. So we did come to California. We moved here in 1989, right in time for the Loma Prieta earthquake. And I... um, But other than natural disasters, which thankfully we survived and all is well, but moving to California was not difficult. So I don't mean the state itself, but moving wasn't difficult. I was antsy on the East Coast. I knew that the Lord had something for Paul, and as his wife, it involved me. I didn't know what it was, where it would be. But honestly, when Paul was very certain that the Lord was calling him to California, my immediate reaction was to feel like I was packing up to go home. Mm. And Your calling is his calling, huh? It, it was for me, but I understand it's not for lots of women married to pastors that um, the sense of home where they presently live— And the prospect of having to uproot and move away 
where you don't know your congregants, your neighbors, the neighborhood, what schools you'll put your kids in. I I know that that's not easy for so many people. I was an exception in that regard. I felt like for the first time, I'm going home. Yeah. So that transition was not difficult for me. Mm-hmm. You said in your book that the Bible is your most important book. Absolutely. And you, you spend your time there. Talk to me about keeping your relationship with the Lord fresh when you've got all these other things swirling around and all the uh, demands of ministry and people and things to do in the church, and yet keeping your walk fresh with Christ. How, how do you go about doing that? Well, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Life changes. Day to day, things happen. My to-do list changes. Um, There are so many factors in life that I have absolutely no control over. But once I really settled in on Jesus Christ, he is the same. That no matter where I am, he's already there. He's going to be with me there. He's going to meet me. And that he's going to be the same when I get there, that he's never going to be new or get funny, even if I fail to hold up my end of the relationship. When I am not in ongoing communication with him, he's not going to hold that against me, that he loves me, that he forever welcomes me into his presence, that only as I stay really tightly connected to him, Am I the best Meredith I can be? Once I understood that, meeting with him regularly, putting him first, living out that scripture, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'm, I don't do good without him. Some people drink coffee. They're not good without their coffee. I'm not good without my daily cup of Jesus. I'm not, I, I'm not good without that. And so years ago, I started the habit. I didn't know when I started that it would become a habit of reading the Bible in its entirety annually. I did it just because I thought, I don't think I've ever read the Bible from cover to cover. And I just, it was not a bucket list item, but it was something that I wanted to do. And when I finished, it was like, okay, check, done. I've read the Bible in its entirety. But then I found myself wanting to do it the next year. And maybe it's the living word, isn't it? There's always something new. And sometimes there's something that was not highlighted. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't ever remember reading that, but I know I have. And so that's the pull and the desire. It's its the same. It's, like I said, it's what keeps me at my best. It keeps my edge sharp. Um, when I get a little dull, it's usually because there's a little too much distance between me and the Lord, me and the Word. I appreciate Meredith Shepherd sharing the lessons she's learned as a pastor's wife. There's even more in her book, Letters to Pastor's Wives, and we'll provide a link to the book at firstpersoninterview.com. Meredith and her husband, Paul, served Christ at Destiny Christian Fellowship in Fremont, California. Please join me in thanking the Far East Broadcasting Company for making First Person possible. I invite you to go to febc.org and learn how the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed in many countries via the radio and internet. At febc.org, you can learn how to pray for countries. You can listen to the podcast until all have heard and learn much more about the ministry. Just go to febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.